think one of the things that sticks with me most about working on this exhibition is really thinking about Indigenous artists in the show and the work that they have made that talks about um, relationships to land and thinking about the landscape, not only as a place where people live, um, but as a sort of an animate force that is in relationship with human life and that is a place with deep ancestral ties and that is a cultural landscape. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if, you know, we're so often trained through, you know, tourism media and Hollywood to see it as a place um, untouched. That was Francesca Dubrock, the chief curator at the Anchorage Museum. Francesca recently finished putting the finishing touches on Extra Tough, Women of the North, an exhibit dedicated to exploring how women have shaped Alaska and the circumpolar North. The exhibit was a massive undertaking. It took over nine months to complete and now occupies the entire third floor of the museum, which is about 7,500 feet. It's not intended to be a comprehensive history of the subject, but rather a multitude of snapshots that help explain how integral women are to the past, present, and future of the North. Francesca says that a large part of unpacking all of this includes subverting cultural myths, like ones that depict the brave, masculine explorer conquering landscapes, and instead portraying a cultural landscape where indigenous people have lived for thousands of years. So here she is, Francesca Dubrock. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum dedicated to exploring Alaska's identity through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. What does your day-to-day look like right now with COVID? Mm. Well, um... I mean, in some ways it's changed a lot and um, in some ways, um, you know, a lot of sort of the meat of what I do hasn't changed drastically. It's just shifted to virtual. Um, So, for instance, after this, um, I'm going to be hosting um, a live stream for our current virtual artist in residence. So she'll be demoing uh, part of her studio process for us online. But it's like lots of emails, it's lots of coordinating with artists, it's lots of research, it's lots of writing. Um, so there's less face-to-face um, interaction. There, you know, We're not welcoming artists up to Alaska from outside right now. But still, you know, I'm, I'm talking to people on the phone, I'm talking on Zooms. Um, we're finding ways to, to stay connected. So, And has anything surprised you about that whole process that maybe it's working really well, or maybe it's not working as well as you originally thought? You know, at first, I think the shift that happened with the pandemic just felt, you know, like a loss. Um, There were so many projects we were about to mount physically at the museum. Um, You know, there were so many programs that really relied on people being in person and being together at the museum. So um, there was really kind of a sense of it being, I think, a negative thing at first. But what I've found over time is really um, sort of how liberating in some ways it's been. I've been able to collaborate with artists living in rural Alaska, living out of state, um, working really closely on developing um, virtual programs. So there have been some, I think, unanticipated um, silver linings to working this way and, and ways that I actually hope will continue once we get back to whatever uh, our new normal is. Um, but I think, you know, there is, at the same time, we also just opened this big um, exhibition called Extra Tough Women of the North. And although we're providing so many ways for people to engage with that online, there's still something to be said for being there in person with the work um, and just having that sort of reflective frame of mind of being in the museum and and seeing real objects in the physical world with your body, you know, I think haven't found a way to sort of bridge that gap with online formats yet. But, um, But that is something that 
I, I hope we find a way to to get back to experiencing. And you sent me the virtual walkthrough of the the Extra Tough exhibit, and I thought it was really great that the museum is being resilient and they're finding new ways to share these projects. So although people may not get that tangible experience, they're still very much experiencing it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think um, the most important thing is just providing a way for people to engage with the ideas um, because the ideas are, are still so um, relevant and urgent and, you know, formatting things for the digital realm keeps us on our creative toes. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's been fun also, you know, sort of exploring what we can do um, in new formats and working with other departments that maybe we don't work with as, or I typically don't work with as closely. It's been kind of a all hands on deck, creative problem solving uh, to figure out how to provide these different types of experiences for our audiences. And we have had people tuning in from, you know, all over. Um, So that's also been really nice. Like all of my aunties all across the U.S. (laughs) have been coming to the talks and sending me notes, which, you know, pre-COVID they wouldn't have been able to. So that's been really fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so before we get into the meat of this conversation, which is the exhibit we're talking about right now, how do you think women are extra tough? Mm, Well, um, so I mean, I was born and raised in Alaska. Um, I think women here growing up made a huge impression on me as a youngster, including my, my mom. But it's not only, of course, Alaskan women. I think that women in general um, face greater adversity often than their male counterparts. Um, and that includes uh, female identified people. Um, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of wisdom that comes through adversity. And I think this idea of toughness is also, you know, women. Um, especially uh, the women we highlight in Extra Tough. They're tough in the traditional kind of more masculine definition of that, but they're also tough in a way that you might think about toughness encompassing ideas of care and sustainability and compassion. And um, these sort of ethics and values that I think we sort of need um, as we move forward into the future and face issues of climate change and other urgent issues, you know, systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think women are tough both in sort of this traditional masculine way, but they're also tough in these other ways that really have to do with sort of their resilience and and care um, and their role often as, as caretakers of their families and their communities. So to give listeners a frame of reference for this exhibit, Extra Tough, Women of the North, it is about how women have shaped the communities of Alaska and the circumpolar north for centuries. Does that sound right? Yeah. So this exhibit is big. <laughs> I, I watched I watched the, uh, the walkthrough and it takes up the entire third floor of the museum. How long did it take to put that together? Yeah, so it's funny because I would say from the time we were working on it in earnest, it was about nine to 10 months, which is uh, kind of a humorous corollary to a pregnancy time. Um, (laughs) So yeah, it was a big, um, it was a big pile of work that, you know, um, I was working on, but I was also working with many of my colleagues at the museum. um, And then we were also working with community contributors and culture bearers and artists. So it's a pretty wide web um, that you cast when you're working on an exhibition of that size. And like you said, it's big. I didn't want it to be, um, give this sense, you know, that I think museums often can of it being like a definitive or encyclopedic type of experience of this topic. Mm -hmm. But acknowledging that it is so expansive, 
we wanted viewers to be able to find a way into many different themes and for many different viewers to be able to find themselves in the exhibition in some way. Um, so we did cover a lot of territory, but I really see this exhibition as being, you know, one of perhaps a series of future exhibitions that deal with topics of, of gender um, and women and identities across the spectrum, uh, because there's so much uh, that, that didn't make it into the exhibition. And, and so, you know, the topic is just so rich, I could go on and on about it. Well, that's why we're talking on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a variety of of snapshots of different ways of life, different cultural influences. Yeah. So the exhibition is organized um, in sort of three main umbrellas. Uh, the first is women in society. The second is women in place. And the third is women in work. And so those are like topics that are conceived very broadly. Mm -hmm. So in women in society, we really talk about, you know, gender as a social construct. Um, we talk about roles and rituals that influence um, gender identity and um, sort of an individual's place within the broader society. We talk about how gender norms are fluid and have changed through time. We talk about birth, we talk about, you know, puberty and rites of passage. Um, we talk about objectification. Uh, we talk about the ways um, female identified artists are pushing back against the um, forces of commodification and objectification. Um, we talk about stories and legends. So there's, there's quite a bit in that first realm. Um, in Women in Place, we really examine the landscape and uh, representations of the landscape and sort of what a female-identified perspective could tell us about land that might be different from images of the North that we've all become accustomed to. So I think, you know, a great example of that is like the Sydney Lawrence Mount McKinley painting that I'm sure many of our listeners uh will be able to call up in their mind's eye. Um, it's the big oil painting um, in the Art of the North galleries at the museum. And just really thinking about kind of unpacking all of these images of the North that are prevalent in popular culture that are created by men and often um, either position the North as sort of an uninhabited wild place um, that doesn't really give uh, respect or acknowledgement to the indigenous people mm -hmm. of the North um, or a place, you know, where they're sort of testing their bravery and their masculinity. And, and so th these uh, depictions of place are really talking about the North as a place that's lived in, um, you know, that's closer range, that includes, you know, indoor scenes as well as outdoor scenes. Um, so I've, I find that area personally really compelling. And then um, women in work is all about labor and the way women's labor has contributed uh, to our place for generations. And so that gallery um, includes a lot of archival photos and we talk about sort of um, things like the gender wage gap, um, gendered labor trends, entrepreneurship, leadership and activism. And then uh, the exhibition kind of ends on a discussion of domestic labor and family life, and then uh, the topics of health and healing. So, uh, and sort of a future forward look at um, what these artists have to say mm -hmm. about women and their role um, in building a, a more just and equitable and sustainable society. So in the section, Women in Place, you said that it examines the landscape and female perspective of land and kind of subverting that that stereotype of the masculine explorer. What was it like subverting that stereotype? Um, well, it's fun. I mean, uh, you know, these are kind of cultural myths that we were all really raised on, I think, uh, subconsciously um, mm -hmm. in many ways. There are ideas, I know that even myself as a 
woman and is a younger woman um, sort of bought into um, in my childhood just from, you know, books that you read or um, shows that you might see. So there's a certain, I find a certain pleasure um, in the way art can help tell sort of broader truths about human experience. And I think this is one of those uh, places where these artists are really showing, you know, with earnestness and um, passion and intelligence, a really different view of this place. Um, And one that, you know, um, you know, in many cases, it's like, smaller scale work, works made on paper, things that are less, you know, flashy than like the giant, um, the giant oil painting in the gilded frame. Um, Mm -hmm. So you can see why uh, perhaps um, these things weren't pulled out of the collection um, and uh, dusted off and displayed. But I think for me, it was just really fun because there was so much work to choose from. I mean, again, that one section of the exhibition could have filled up the whole space. Um, There's so much to choose from. There's so many amazing artists working in and around these themes. And I think it's kind of just, it's gratifying to, it's not seeing a different place, but it's just like changing your vantage point. It's like we've been staring at the landscape from this one outlook on the highway, you know, Mm -hmm. and you just, you know, step, you know, uh, at 90 degrees, a couple of steps, you know, away, and you see everything um, from a different angle. And, you know, I think one of the things that sticks with me most about working on this exhibition is really thinking about Indigenous artists in the show and the work that they have made that talks about um, relationships to land and thinking about the landscape, not only as a place where people live, uh, but as a sort of an animate force that is in relationship with human life and that is a place with deep ancestral ties and that is a cultural landscape. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if, you know, we're so often trained through, you know, tourism media and Hollywood to see it as a place um, untouched, you know. So I think for me, that was one of the most powerful takeaways of working on the exhibition. If a painting that depicts the stereotypical masculine explorer conquering land is something that is trying to be subverted with extra tough, what do you think that new painting looks like? Hmm. Well, um, there are some images that I can describe in the exhibition. Um, So for example, there is a drawing by the Inuit artist Annie Patuguk that is called Watching the Simpsons on TV. Mm -hmm. And it shows a Inuit family at home inside and a little boy watching the Simpsons on TV and the mom and the dad standing by the doorway and the dad is helping the mom um, take a baby out of the hood of her parka. Um, So just a really unadorned portrait of daily life um, in Northern Canada. That's one way it might look. Um, Another artist in the exhibition, her name is Effie Sheldon Bornhoft. She's in the Anchorage Museum collection, and she painted hundreds of watercolors um, driving up the Alcan with her husband in the 1950s. And she never went to art school. She wasn't formally trained, but she painted, I mean, almost every stretch of the drive. It's incredible if you've ever done the drive. I mean, there was stuff that I recognized and then obviously stuff that had changed. But she would write the milepost um, sort of down in the corner of her painting. And so, you know, her descriptions of place, it's just this, you know, very rigorous, almost scientific approach to showing the specificity of, you know, every mile of road, whether there's a rest stop or, you know, uh, mining infrastructure or just trees. And so some of the paintings are, are almost amusing because there's like 
just really nothing um, exciting happening in the frame. There's no giant mountain. There's no <laughs> rainbow. There's no um, bear catching a fish in a river. It's just like, you know, spruce forest. Yeah. Um, and so I really appreciate the way that she kind of took this very kind of serial approach to depicting the landscape. And it's something that, you know, over time, it, it does show how the landscape has changed um, because she made such sort of a faithful um, representation of that part of the world at the time she was painting. Well, and I also think that there is beauty in the mundane. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, Alaska um, and the North offers up so many. Of course, we have the sort of the majestic, um, sort of sublime um, imagery. But I think there's also so much of Northern living that is just like totally banal. You know, mm -hmm. you have the days where it's just a flat gray sky, you know, empty horizon, maybe a raven, um, or, you know, inside, like we spend a lot of time inside, mm -hmm. um, probably more than any other part of the world. Um, and so I love seeing artists like Annie's um, depictions of what indoor life looks like and means um, to culture and life in the North. Do you know if there's any significance in the medium artists use? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and that's one thing that we really talk about, too, in the exhibition. Um, materiality is super important. And um, there are certain mediums uh, like oil painting or, say, like uh, bronze casting or marble carving that, you know, are associated with materials that cost a lot of money or that are associated with sort of having very technical training um, from a Western institution. Things like uh, watercolor, uh, works on paper, those things have traditionally within sort of the Western art historical context um, been seen as a little bit um, sort of lowered on the chain of hierarchy. Um, mm -hmm. And so they were things, uh, you know, mediums that women often used, um, watercolor in particular. But, you know, even beyond those sort of um, Western art historical hierarchies, there's a lot of discussion um, in the exhibition about using materials from the land. So indigenous artists, that are working with things like spruce root or uh, mountain goat fur or um, grass. And the way that those, you know, the harvest of those materials and the processing of them and then using them to create a work of art expresses um, this relationship to land that is inherent, even if the work itself might not be um, explicitly about that there's something so important about the materials artists are using. And I think, you know, in, in the exhibition, we have works um, made with some of those traditional materials. And we also have artists working on paper and working in these really ephemeral forms, which I think, you know, is also a, a sort of a statement about value and about sort of, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to two artists in the show the other day. Um, their names are Bettany Porter and Susan Joy Cher. And, you know, I see paper as being this, you know, it's, it's more ephemeral than, say, like a canvas with oil paint, which could last, you know, centuries without degrading. Mm -hmm. So paper will degrade faster than that. Um, so I see it as being kind of anti-archival and a little more ephemeral and and I was talking to them about that and they really disagreed and they were like no you know paper is strong paper you can sculpt it into anything you want it holds its shape it holds memory um, and they were you know seeing paper in a completely different way um, than I see paper but you know I think sort of harnessing the unexpected or undersung strengths of a material like paper that is often sort of overlooked is also part of of what you might encounter um, in this exhibition. And then there's, of course, artists like um, Leslie Shows, 
who she has a piece right at the entrance that is called Face K. And I see that piece is really being kind of like a retort to the Sydney Lawrence um, because it's giant, it's, it's very large scale. Um, but she uses things like um, glass and ink and sand. And she, you, you know, sort of uses these geologic forms. But one thing she's done is she's completely eliminated a horizon line from the landscape that she depicts. So she sees the horizon as sort of this Western colonial way of looking at landscapes. So she just takes it out completely. So you're basically in this very immersive, disorienting world of like rocks and um, strange kind of almost like electrical emanations. You can't really place yourself anywhere. There's nowhere yeah. for the viewer to like stand, if you will. And so I think, you know, that that just idea of kind of disorientation and trying to see something anew is really a way that she kind of uses materials and uses composition to um, elicit that reaction in the viewer. How important do you think it is to have these different perspectives in a place like a museum where maybe there is that stereotypical, you know, masculine explorer uh, depiction, and then, you know, you go to a different floor, and then there's something like this exhibit. Oh, I think it's so important. I mean, um, I think it's our job as museum professionals in this place to offer as many different views and um, invite as many different voices to tell their stories as possible. Mm -hmm. There is no overarching sort of uh, truth or history. Um, there's many. Um, and so I think that um, it is imperative that we always sort of push ourselves um, to expand what we're telling and how we're telling um, stories about this place. So um, I hope that, you know, this exhibition does that. I hope that other exhibitions we've done in the past do that. And I, and I hope that, um, you know, future ones, we increasingly find new ways to invite people into those stories um, and get away from this idea of a monolithic history or uh, idea of place. Mm -hmm. And what do you think this, this stuff in the exhibit can tell us about how those women lived and influenced culture and community? I think that there are so, well, there are so many um, women represented in this exhibition mm -hmm. and, you know, from artists to historical profiles, um, you know, there is no um, one sort of totality. But I will say um, that for me, one of the biggest takeaways of working on this you know, as we think about one of the most emergent threats to life in the North, which is climate change, mm -hmm. I'm really struck by the way women have lived the advocacy and activism they have been engaged in, not only sort of in the public or professional or community level sphere, but also within their own families. I think there's just so much to be said um, for the way that women influence, um, contribute, and sometimes in these sort of quieter, um, I hesitate to even use the word quieter, but in these ways that are less sort of recognized within uh, the dominant uh, patriarchal society mm. that we live in. And there's so much of that that we need to foster um, as a society moving forward. You know, the ability to listen, the ability to work collaboratively, the ability to be compassionate um, and to nurture and to care about the world uh, beyond ourselves or our own sort of immediate gain. I think so many of the women in the exhibition, um, both artists, activists, business people, um, they all really exemplify that idea of, of caring sort of 
beyond themselves, beyond just this one um, generation and of listening, you know, listening to their environment, listening to others. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that history is not monolithic earlier. What do you think is the benefit of understanding history as not monolithic? Well, um, I think that um, we live in a very um, colonized country um, that, you know, has sort of taught a certain version of historical events for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I see the single version as something that has the capacity to do a great deal of harm. And I think that we've seen uh, the harm that that does to communities. It's a form, I think, of violence to deny uh, multiplicity of experiences. I mean, um, if, you know, Cody, you have one version of events and, and you know, I tell you that that's actually not what happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is extremely frustrating. So I think um, ecologically, um, the planet is healthier with a diversity of species thriving. I think it's, it's, it's the same um, in the human world, in our societies. You know, the more stories, the more languages, the more histories we are able to embrace, the more compassionate we will become. And um, I think compassion builds resilience. One thing that, that just came to mind is people do inevitably have their own beliefs and understanding of, of, of history. So how much thought went into how this exhibit was displayed? Yeah, I mean, I think this is something um, we grapple with in like every exhibition. I mean, at the same time, I want to you know, encourage this idea of multiple histories and narratives. I think it's also important to value truth. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain kind of objective truths um, and facts that I think are also um, increasingly contested um, in this world where, you know, you can go online and really sort of believe anything you want to believe about yeah. <laughs> about something that just happened um, objectively um, in the real world. So, so it's always a negotiation. I mean, the way the exhibition is set up is really to let the artwork lead people into the themes and ideas. So it's not at all set up as like a historical chronology. Mm -hmm. I think those exhibitions are well, aside from being a little boring, <laughs> they're just problematic because it sets you up as being, you know, it sets you up in the, in the, as the voice of authority, which I think is always something we're trying to get away from or reframe. Mm -hmm. um, so the way we worked on this was we talked to a lot of community contributors. I talked to pretty much every single artist in the show and we included their quotes in the labels. Um, There's so many parts of the exhibition that were sort of um, community generated. Um, so that was a lot of our process of research was just reaching out and talking to people and folks would make suggestions or uh, point us towards, you know, sources that we didn't even know about. And so then we'd incorporate that in. 
So you'll notice um, at the at the entryway to the exhibition, there's a long list of thank yous um, mm-hmm. from all of these community contributors. So I guess I would say that, you know, outside of sort of positioning the art as the um, guiding thread through the exhibition, we also are just very flexible throughout the whole process. I mean, basically, until we are printing final, you know, uh, signs and labels to go on the wall, we are open to changing things. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do. So, you know, the goal is to be really responsive um, and open. And, you know, I would say probably the most kind of historical aspect of the exhibition um, is this series of profiles that we've done uh, that folks can check out on the museum website. But we, we started profiling women from Alaska's history back in March. So leading up to opening the exhibition, we, we released one profile a week and we were using the hashtag extra tough women AK and we're going to continue to work on those. And, you know, I can give an example of, you know, how we're always trying to get better with that one because we were researching profiles of women and there just are not great resources for many of these people. Um, So we did our best and, you know, we'd publish a profile and people were really enjoying them, but then we'd occasionally get a letter, you know, from someone's, uh, an example, we got an email from Thelma Buckholt's daughter Thelma was uh, a legislator and a cultural powerhouse. She was a Filipina uh, legislator in Alaska. And um, her daughter uh, corrected a number of dates and sort of references in the profile we had done. And Mm -hmm. so we were like, thanks for that. And, you know, incorporated all the changes. So, you know, when, when you're working also with topics where these women aren't the subjects of history books yet, um, and the resources you might be able to find are perhaps not the most uh, reliable. There's a lot of, of, you know, potential for error and always just being humble and reaching out to as many people as you can, I think, is the, is the way to, um, to move forward in those situations. Because you still want to tell the story, mm-hmm. but you also have to acknowledge that, you know, you might mess up and, and just to be sort of humble and gracious about that when you do. Well, and I think that we can't be afraid to mess up because that's how we progress, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's scary um, sometimes for me, you know, because when you're putting all these materials together and you're seeing them, you know, blown up from the size of your computer screen to the size of an entire wall, you're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I hope I got this right. Um, but uh, but yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's something in every exhibition that people will love. There's things that will push people's buttons. And then there's things that I always worry about pushing people's buttons that, you know, nobody bats an eyelash about. So it's really hard to predict what the public is going to think about something, at least for me. Is there something in this exhibit that uh, fits that mold that you were just talking about that you you didn't think that that response was going to be given to that piece? Well, um, it's still early and we've been closed for the past month, but I will say sort of something that I'm anticipating getting maybe some feedback about or um, is the the whole area where we talk about gender as a social construct and gender as this um, very sort of fluid spectrum of identities. I think that's something that is very acknowledged among younger people in our society today. I think there are older people for whom those ideas um, might be a little challenging but, you know, I can give an example, actually. I, I took my dad through the exhibition, um, and there's a portrait of a non-binary uh, individual. And my dad asked me, he was like, you know, what's non-binary? Um, and I was like, you know, a person who doesn't identify as a man or a woman, um, or as both as a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, my dad is, you know, in his uh, late 70s. Um, and he was like, oh okay, you know, and I was surprised. He totally got it, uh, but it was not a word he was familiar with. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's some other work in the show, artists who are 
like playing with religion, playing with Christianity in a way that's critical of the teachings of the church. Um, so I think, you know, depending on your perspective, there are works that could challenge, but I think that's the role of art. And I, I think that a certain amount of sort of discomfort or not knowing quite how to read something, if people are open to going there, can be a very productive thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's something we don't actually get to do very often in our lives. So I always, I always personally welcome the opportunity to be confused or <laughs> have my mind expanded by an artist. Yeah, confusion is important. I, I appreciate confusion. Yeah, I like that you appreciate that because I think most Americans feel really uncomfortable with confusion. I remember once being at the SF MoMA um, when I was an art student and I was just, you know, looking, I was in an exhibition of Cindy Sherman photographs and I was walking through, I think I was with my brother and there was this man there. Um, I did not know him. He was a stranger and he was, seemed really agitated and he just kind of came up to me he was like, do you get this? I don't get this at all. Like, and he was, he was like angry, you know? Um, and I was just, I was struck because I was like, oh, you know, the feeling like he feels personally affronted because he feels like the artist is trying to, you know, like pull one over on him or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think that that's just fascinating that sort of defensiveness we get, um, rather than just kind of like relaxing into a sense of not knowing and, you know, maybe that's okay. Have you found that your description of this exhibit has changed over time? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when we started working on it, we were calling it Frontier Feminisms, and we decided to drop that title our goal with that title was to really contest and question the idea of a frontier right up front in the exhibition. But I think even just by using it, you know, uh, was almost like giving it more um, power. So we decided to, to get rid of it. Um, I think my understanding of the different themes in, in the exhibition really changed and how I talked about them. Um, in particular, I think the way the exhibition ends on this idea of healing and the future, I didn't really know how to end the exhibition. Um, and it's hard because talking about women, there's so much that is, you know, uplifting and incredible, but there's also like quite a bit of negative material you have to grapple with, like, you know, like objectification and patriarchy and inequality um, and sexism and, all of these things that are a part of the female experience in this country. So, so it's hard because it, it's sort of an inherently heavy topic. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to kind of end on a heavy note, I guess. And so I was actually talking to some curators um, down in California at the Oakland uh, Museum of California. And they had just finished curating an exhibition called Hella, Hella Feminist. Um, <laughs> and we were sort of were talking about the challenges. Um, they were approaching it from a very different angle um, to sort of suit their context in California. Um, but it was through talking to them that I, I decided that um, sort of healing and a future forward perspective would be the right tone to end the exhibition on and a generous one. Um, you know, we have also all these audio files from women all over the state saying affirmations um, in this installation that we call the Affirmation Chair. And you can also listen to those online. So I, I see that whole part of the exhibition as being like this little gift to the viewer that is hopefully gives them sort of energy and sort of that excitement that comes when when you encounter someone who's speaking with vision and with conviction, um, as I think many of these artists and women are, and just leave feeling good about the future possibilities and sort of ready to enact some of those ideas. So that for me was one part that really changed in how I think and talk about the exhibition. Mm -hmm. 
the idea of a female and woman is is pretty complex. How do you come to define those ideas? Oh, it is super, super complex. Um, so we worked with folks who are female identified. Um, so as we know, gender is, um, I actually have an actual definition here in my pile of papers. So I'll just read that so I don't get anything wrong. But gender is a set of social, psychological, and or emotional traits, often influenced by societal expectations that classify an individual along a spectrum of man, woman, both, or neither. So, you know, gender is different from sex. And our focus with this exhibition was gender, you know, um, female identified perspectives. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we have uh, perspectives from uh, trans women in the exhibition. There are also some non-binary individuals that contributed to the exhibition. But I think you know, I recently read something that is also important to note that, um, you know, including non-binary people um, under an umbrella with women has a way of sort of feminizing non-binary perspectives that can be um, damaging and also wrong. So, you know, our, our goal was to basically just open the door to any perspective that has been in opposition to or sort of harmed by patriarchy um, mm -hmm. and non-binary would fall under that category. But I can also see how by lumping non-binary perspectives in um, an exhibition um, that uses the word woman can also be problematic. So, you know, we're we're in a, you know, again, with humility, learning and trying to move forward in the best way, I think. Um, it's also important, and this was something I really struggled with, you know, like language is so clunky. Mm -hmm. uh, the words we use are just so um, imperfect in terms of describing the nuance uh, often of what we want to say. Mm -hmm. And so even for this exhibition, you know, it's hard to get away from the word woman. Um, but, you know, by saying the word woman, you're also sort of setting up this binary idea again man, woman, you know, and the whole thing we were trying to do is to kind of get away from that type of language, um, which, you know, was hard. Um, and so, you know, I wrote a little thing at the entry of the exhibition that kind of acknowledges that challenge and that our intent was not to reify these binary ideas by using the word woman, um, but to be um, inclusive and expansive. Um, but, you know, of course, you know, again, that word woman. Um, so, you know, who knows, maybe we'll have evolved beyond some of the, some of the language we're using today in another 10 years. And I'm sure um, we will actually, because I think all of this is changing so quickly and that's exciting. I took a, um, a linguistics class in college and we learned about the word woman and it is derived from Weifmann and that is if I'm remembering correctly, means property of man. You know, the wife, the woman is is the property of the man. And so, like you said, language is clunky. And if we continue to try to be more understanding and kind of expand our, our minds and question historical precedence, I think that we will inevitably reach a better place. Yeah, amen. Well said. So how do you think the female experience was and is different in Northern places than other parts of the country or the world? Hmm. Um, it's a good question. I feel like um, in some ways, not different at all. Um, you know, that was one of the things that was challenging about working on this exhibition was trying to figure out, you know, in what ways is this story different or exceptional in the North or in Alaska? You know, in what ways do we depart from national trends? And in what ways are we really 
sort of in step with all of sort of the the broader statistics. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as Alaskans, we tend to think of ourselves as exceptional in so many ways. And, you know, what I found um, is that, you know, as far as uh, gender equality goes, uh, we are, you know, right in line with sort of national averages and standards not doing great. Um, But I do think that there are moments in history and in time when the experience has been very different. You know, like one of those might be women who came up to work on the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. Um, You know, I think there are women who have come to Alaska, um, settler women, who have found their ways into industries and to experiences that were so much more independent, so much more adventurous than anything they may have been able to experience in the lower 48 at the time. Um, So we get these stories of, you know, individuals living these incredibly remarkable lives. And so I, I do think that that is unique. But again, it's sort of in these specific moments in time or encased within these sort of individual stories. I think another thing um, would also be sort of the history of colonization, um, which in Alaska is at least relatively recent compared to other parts of the world, many other parts of the world. So you have women who have experienced pretty intense, violent sort of social change within very few generations. But you also have, you know, on the other side of the same coin, um, women who are very tied to their culture and their cultural practices and their way of life and their indigenous language in ways that, um, you know, in, in parts of the world that have experience centuries and centuries of colonization maybe is a little uh, more distant. Um, and then, of course, you know, you could talk about the weather. Um, <laughs> I think there's there's a certain, um, you know, amount of sort of resilience that comes with dealing with a harsh climate, uh, particularly, you know, like Sami people, um, in the northern parts of of Norway, Sweden, uh, Finland, and Russia, and and indigenous people throughout um, Alaska and Canada. Just sort of, you know, the ingenuity and the inventiveness and the strength and the grit to be able to not only survive, but thrive in these kinds of landscapes Mm -hmm. where, you know, where it's hard, you know, this is not um, an equatorial climate where you have like papayas falling off the tree, like you <laughs> yeah. have to go out and work for it. So, um, so I would say, you know, certainly, um, certainly that shapes, I think, a lot of what the artists talk about, respond to, and, and sort of um, has shaped the character of, of women here, for sure. Do you feel like you learned anything about yourself through this exhibit? Hmm. Totally. Yeah. You know, I was raised by a mother who considers herself a feminist and she has four sisters. They're all super strong ladies. Um, And my grandma had a sister. So I had, you know, this grandma and great auntie. So my family in many ways was like very female power. Um, And so I always kind of identified with those ideas, but you know, in college, um, I remember really vividly being in an art history class, and it was a class that had mostly uh, women in it. And there was just one guy, and he would just speak up all the time. You know, anytime the professor asked a question, he'd pipe up. And he had a, a friend who was a girl who would always sit next to him in class, and and she was kind of similarly um, outspoken. And one day she raised her hand and said something and I found myself getting like annoyed with her. Like I was like, oh, you know, and and then I caught myself and I was like, you know, why am I like it's this guy who actually is is, you know, speaking up more frequently than she is and saying things he doesn't really, you know, understand or I felt like 
um, you know, to use today's parlance, mansplaining to the rest of the class. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, you know, these like biases are so deeply ingrained um, that I would have a negative feeling towards like a female classmate of mine for speaking up because, you know, uh, that's not you know, appropriate behavior for, for women. So I had that kind of revelation at, in, you know, in my early twenties. And I think just became like increasingly interested in these topics and in, um, different strains of feminism, but always at a kind of an arm's length. Like I, I'd read books. I've always have argued with every boyfriend I've had about reading more female authors um, <laughs> because it's shocking how many men don't read books by women. Um, it really is. And I think women are taught to inhabit characters, male characters. Again, goes back to that idea of compassion. You know, I can read a coming of age story about a boy and just feel the story so completely and be right there with him. And I would have male friends or boyfriends read a book uh, written from a woman's perspective and be like, well, it's just about like girl stuff. And I, you know, they just couldn't relate to the character. And I'd be like, oh, <laughs> so it's always been an interest of mine. But I think working on this exhibition just allowed me to go so much deeper, you know, into mm -hmm. some of the theory, into mo reading more kind of classical feminist texts, reading um, more of Bell Hooks that I hadn't. I read just some of her stuff prior. Um, I read a whole bunch of Rebecca Solnit too. And and it was just, you know, a real treat to kind of dig in and also like totally infuriating because I would start just, you know, having clearer eyes towards all of these sort of injusti injustices and inequities um, mm -hmm. and uh, did a lot of reading out loud to my partner <laughs> while I was working on the exhibition. But I think it really, you know, sort of cemented a lot of feelings that I had and ideas that I had that I didn't have as much of a political sort of framework for thinking about. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like it's put me on a path of of wanting to explore those ideas more fully in my life and find ways to support other women both in the work that I do at the museum and, and outside of of my professional life. So now that you are able to kind of step back and look at this exhibition in full, how do you feel? Mm. I feel good. Yeah, I feel, um, you know, sometimes when an exhibition comes together, you are feeling more sort of tension between sort of what you wanted it to be and how it ended up. Mm -hmm. With this exhibition, um, every time we'd put something on the wall, I would just get so excited. Um, it looked just how I imagined it, and I'd been through it mentally so many times that you know, in my mind's eye that um, it ended up all fitting together. I worked with so many amazing people at the museum, uh, Ryan Kenny and Johnny Hayes and Monica Shaw and Alice Green and just, you know, so many wonderful people who really helped make that the reality of my experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I think also, excuse me, um, the artists themselves, like anytime I'd start to doubt the exhibition, I would just think back on um, on the art. And it's like, I believe a hundred percent in all of these artists. I believe in their work. Mm -hmm. It's good work. It's, it's powerful. Um, so anytime I was having those, you know, typical like cold feet you get before you launch something huge, I was just, you know, think about the artists and, and feel confidence. So I feel really good. And I, I really hope that, um, as the pandemic, uh, diminishes as people are able to get vaccines, that people are able to come see it and kind of engage with some of the ideas that are in it. And what do you hope those people take away after seeing the exhibit? I hope that people come away with a sense of all the seen and unseen ways women influence and contribute to our society. I hope they come away with a sense of um, the genius and the creativity of the women represented in the exhibition. Um, I hope they come away with a sense 
of hope and also a sense of responsibility to making change um, in our society, whether that be for um, gender equity or other pervasive inequalities. I hope people come away just feeling, you know, wind in their sails, like they've learned something new and they're excited by some of the ideas. They're excited by some of the stories. Um, they're excited to, to learn more and to go out and sort of embody some of the ideas in the exhibition, which again, I would come back to those ideas of, you know, reciprocity, caretaking of compassion, of stewarding our place, both physically um, and socially, moving us forward. For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Music was produced by Keezy Baby.